Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creator of the Apple Design Award-winning iOS game Black Box, Ryan McLeod. Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I am super excited about this. Uh, I think you are the first game uh, developer I've had on this show. And so there's a bunch of interesting things I've always wondered about this as someone who's never never published a game or made one. So uh, I'm really interested to see how this goes. Spice it up. I I don't... (laughs) No, yeah, I guess I'm a game developer. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's accurate. That's uh, true. <laughs> but before we get into black box, uh, I'd like to give everyone a background on who you are. So the three questions I ask everybody is, where are you from? Uh, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like leading up to uh, the release of black box? Sure. Yeah, I think those those all roll together pretty nicely. <laughs> Yeah, I was born and raised in San Diego in California. Uh, and then I went to school at uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, like a state technical school, the computer science program, which I had applied uh, to different schools as computer science or computer engineering, just because I liked computers and then happened to go there and found out that I picked computer science which ended up being fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) Have no formal design background. um, So that was kind of more left to my own devices. But I graduated and I was kind of had been, I had done web development work before in like various internships and stuff, but had always been really fascinated by the iPhone since day one, as I'm sure a a lot of people were and really liked this idea of like being able to create novel interfaces and such. And I think there was always a frustration of like wanting to make my own things with that. And that eventually led to me uh, experimenting with iOS when I got kind of tired of uh, web development. (laughs) And I think I looked at a lot of jobs that I thought would be cool. And like all of these jobs kind of asked as a requirement, like what's an app that you have in the app store. Mm, Yeah. Um, And I thought, okay, I might need to do that. And that's kind of where black box came from really long story short, but I I was messing around with this, this idea of this like mystery box. um, I kind of wouldn't have any visuals or any hints. It's just like all these lights that you would like every black box challenge running at once was the original idea kind of chaotic. Oh, wow. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be difficult to scale. Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't understand how the hardware worked at that point, but I eventually made something uh, that friends would like, I would hand it to them and they wouldn't give me the phone back super easily. And I kind of realized like, maybe I could really turn this into a game. And there was kind of some uh, indie inspirations out there. And I kind of read up on it and thought it might be possible, but like, like could tell that it was definitely hard. Uh, so I just decided to like give it the best I could and then have it out there. And that could always serve as kind of a portfolio piece to get a real job. Um, and that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. So the initial thing was you wanted to have an app in the store that you could use as yeah. a portfolio piece to get a job. What, yeah. what led you down the route of wanting to make a game? Was it just because you were experimenting with, all this sensor stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, 
I think like when I was a kid, a lot of people probably had this like loved games, wanted to make games, tried to figure out how to make games. Uh, you know, I like got a book on C++ because I found out that's what StarCraft was made in. Like never figured out how to As kids compile do. or run uh. C++. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, that's what a 10 year old's going to do. I mean, now they do. They're much smarter. But yeah, it wasn't really, I guess, I don't know. I did have, there's a distinction of like puzzle versus game. I never thought of it. It was clearly a game, but uh, I remember really early on getting invited by a another indie game developer to go to the game developers conference in San Francisco, like shortly after launching. Hmm. And I kind of felt like I'm not a game developer. <laughs> it like took a long time to kind of come around on that. Cause I still identify more as like being an app developer and like black box is entirely made in UI kit and stuff like that. Not really an answer, but no, that makes sense. Uh, like it, and it kind of makes sense for why you, we haven't explained what black box is, but essentially it's, <laughs> it's a puzzle game that what makes it incredibly unique aside from really cool art, you know, design and everything is it somehow uses every possible sensor available on an iPhone and makes puzzles out of those. Almost. Almost. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And so that angle is something that somebody who's really familiar with, uh, you know, unity or a quote unquote game platform right. would probably be a lot more difficult, right? You'd have to build a whole bunch of right. shims to connect all that together. Yeah. And so it kind of makes sense that you coming at it from that angle is part of what made this such a unique feeling experience. Definitely agree with that. I think early on, uh, that was sort of where some of the inspiration came from. I, cause that was around the time, uh, Flappy Bird was coming, becoming popular and kind of these like endless runner type things. Mm, yeah. And I don't mean to like be mean to an entire genre of games, but I felt like, like everything was just kind of like dumbing down almost in this, like getting simpler and simpler and like, not like dumbing down, but like using less of the hardware and making like these more portable experiences and these like lowest common denominator type things where it's like, this can be played on any glass rectangle that has touch right which kind of feels like that's what you know app development in general was sort of doing around that time too right like facebook mobile was the simplified version of facebook for if you're on your phone but like the full experience would be on desktop and that felt like that was sort of across the ecosystem including games i guess a similar trend for sure yeah i think there was a lot of like coming from other platforms and there had always been things that were born on mobile but that didn't seem to be like a priority anymore. Like people had fun in the early years and then it was kind of like, okay, that doesn't make like a ton of business sense anymore. We need to get this out the door. And I found that like really a huge shame because uh, there's so much cool stuff to do with these platforms and to use these sort of sensors and things as context to like make invisible design and things like that, like a lot better. There was a lot of early apps that were like really inspirational in that way and like playing around you know, using the proximity sensor to try to, um, I think it was like peak tried to do that, but I think it, uh, IDEO did that. It was like, you could cover the top of the phone to see something like a different view. I think they ended up using the camera cause the proximity sensor turns off the screen, but like fun stuff like that. It makes me think of kind of the difference between like a traditional AAA game developer and Nintendo <laughs> where Nintendo likes to take whatever hardware that they put out 
and do the most like stretch it as far as they can in a way that makes it almost impossible to port to something else. Yeah. But that's part of what its charm is. Totally. And I, I imagine I'm sure you get requests all the time for an Android version of black box. But every time <laughs> I think of that, I'm like, that's got to be like borderline impossible because uh, you'd have to target a specific Android phone with known sensors, you know, to build all these special experiences. Right. Yeah. It's always, that one's always kind of heartbreaking because so many people have this concept conception that like I haven't pressed the Android release button. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's like a, was that goat simulator that released an update and their trailer for it just showed them opening unity and saying file, you know, new update or something. And they hit that and then it just said ship like, yeah, that's yeah. how a lot of people view these things. I think. <laughs> and now it's on PlayStation five. It's yeah. just like, yeah, I, I never know how much of this to explain to people. So I always try to like lay out a little bit of it just so they know I'm not uh, total. Uh, yeah, we'll keep it clean. It's uh, yeah, I mean, I've had issues with iOS hardware even. It's, this hasn't happened in a long time, but like the iPhone 6S like changed the audio processing hardware and it changed like microphone bit rates and stuff like that. And that was a total pain to fix. <laughs> so I can't imagine yeah, that. I imagine. At scale among a dozen other uh, large issues. But yeah, it's, it's very tailored to iOS. And I think the point about Nintendo is interesting and fun because like within those constraints is born a lot of, a lot of um, freedom and interesting things. You know, it's kind of like Lego is really good at that where they don't create new parts really easily. You know, you have to dig in the bucket you already have to come up with stuff and leads to some interesting things. So what, what time like period was this? Like what version of the iPhone are we talking about when you started building this? Um, I think I like the first commit is actually somewhere around like 2014 late okay. that year, but I wasn't going at it super hard then. Uh, it was more 2016 and yeah, or 2015 and then launched in 2016. I think that was like the iPhone five S, uh, maybe four S. Okay. Just, I was trying to get a frame of reference for what, yeah how many devices at that time? Cause now we're in a world where there's a lot of fragmentation even within yes. uh, uh, the iPhone, which I imagine makes your job a lot harder. Yes. There was multiple screen sizes. <laughs> okay. At that point, that's probably that. good. Cause if you had made it for a single screen size, I imagine yeah. the foundations would have been pretty difficult to translate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I moved to auto layout pretty quickly. So at what point did you start treating this? Like this isn't just a portfolio thing that I may or may not release in and start treating it like this is a real product and I'm going to really put all my, you know, yeah. umph and maybe marketing power behind it. Or did that happen after release? Um, I think it, it, it was like, it was something I, I thought about and was like meditated. I, I read a ton on everything I could find on other indie developers and publishing things and how the gold rush was over and yeah. how marketing is important and indies don't pay attention to it. And I kind of zeroed in on that I needed to be featured by Apple probably to be successful. And uh, I did, so I, I had a lot of things, thoughts in mind from like using other apps, how I wanted to make it, I wanted to make it work. I did want to have some sort of like purchase in it to try to make it something I wasn't going to like give it away completely for free. And there was a lot of a thought behind that for launch. But then at launch, it ended up getting featured uh, in a very, in a small way and enough that it was picked up by some other reviewers and YouTubers and stuff. And I had a lot of friends were really stoked and I was really stoked as well. But I kind of, I think I knew a little bit more and thought like, 
I don't know if these are sustainable numbers or if this can really be a business. But within those first few weeks, it was like, oh my God, this is going to you know, change my life sort of thing. You have that graph of launch. <laughs> right. <laughs> had no experience with how that goes after. And it like very quickly sunk down pretty low. And I think I, I did have this idea that like I put all this work into this thing and I put all the marketing I can behind it and launch it. And then I will buy a boat. And that <laughs> did not happen. So it was a very quick realization uh, that it was kind of this ongoing thing. I think like a few months later, I had fixed some bugs and stuff, but I started getting approached by people for iOS jobs, which was like brand new to me and really exciting. So I started uh, interviewing at some places and I, I couldn't quite let it go. I think I still really wanted to see if I can make it work. So I like, I made a new puzzle pack and like put in a bunch of new in-app purchase type things for hints and stuff like that and relaunched it um, in October that year. So it launched in, in February and then did that in October. Relaunched meaning like did a big marketing push around an update? Did a big update. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not real relaunch, but, uh, put a lot more effort into it and new stuff. And then like saw that graph go up again and I kind of had this like, Oh, (laughs) like this is going to be like an ongoing thing, you know? But like, then I kind of saw it was possible and decided to like really dive into it. And so I guess based on what you're saying, then it sounds like from the get go, the quote business model evolved into it's a free app because it was free totally upfront with like a certain amount of puzzles that you get no matter what. I locked like 10 puzzles out of like 50 or 60, which was a huge mistake. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that was one in-app purchase to unlock it. It was a dollar on launch day. <laughs> I think I made it $2 later on. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I had this idea that people would like diehard puzzle people would get really far into the game and then they would like absolutely purchase it. And I did not understand how low conversion rates on the app store are <laughs> and how people play games. Yeah. Interesting. So did you, I mean, did you eventually uh, like rein that in then? Yeah. I think I figured that out and you know, a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's been a slow process, but uh, we're getting there. So the primary, the business model then is single purchases of new packs. And so you releasing a new pack. Yeah. And then having to market that presumably to try and get people to actually pay for it. That's how you've been able to, to fund this long-term. That is the idea. I have not released a new pack since that October in 2017. Wow. I, yeah, I've been, I've added a few puzzles to the paid packs for people that already paid and I've released a bunch of puzzles for free. I think part of what I realized is that a lot of, um, like the people that were supporting development and paying were the new people that were coming in the door every day. And so, right kind of hurt because I just wanted to make puzzles, but I realized I needed to turn my attention towards like making the app a more optimal experience. And so I I balance that now, but the, it's the whole game now is basically one $5 purchase for all the locked contents. And there's kind of a very soft paywall on that. So you can play half the game for free. And then I also sell like uh, packs of hints if you need and now I do merch and you can donate burritos and things and lots of <laughs> very generous people support me that way. But 
uh, it's been possible to do it full time for the last few years. And that, so the main driver then of continued growth has just been new players. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm super lucky to have like a really consistent stream of new players. I'm not entirely sure where they come from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was wondering because virality or Apple or do you do a lot of uh, like paid marketing? I've dabbled in it a few times. Um, and I just, I never have the time for it or really understand it. So I imagine it with games, I, I, again, most of what I'm going to say is probably dumb because I, everything is no. uh, me reading things on the side. I am definitely not an expert in this, but my understanding is that for like the games industry, that is like hugely important. And that's how yeah uh, a lot of the big games, they spend an enormous amount of money on customer acquisition yeah, and most of that going into like, you know, paid advertising. And so yep. I imagine you'd have to have a lot of money and then be able to make a lot of money on the people that you acquire. Yeah. Once you get dumped into this world, I feel like you learn all the three letter acronyms and yeah. <laughs> and all these things. That's <laughs> horrible. Uh, but yeah, you quickly realize a lot of these games just like they have their little Skinner box that they tune for extracting money out of people and they figure out their lifetime value per customer. And then they figure out that if they can sell ads to get people to install that for less than the lifetime value. And then they just like pour as much money into the funnel as they can. Um, it doesn't work for black box because like the average player distributed out like it's not a lot of money so like buying ads and competing against all the candy crushes of the world doesn't work very well right i'm i'm sure if you take on a bunch of sort of vc money or something you could hire some app store optimization people and put in stricter paywalls and stuff i could figure it out but i'm not super interested in that yeah no uh, it's just it's really interesting to hear that because you've been able to sustain this is your full like full-time job right yeah so you've been able to sustain yourself for for years on new customers coming in <laughs> and yeah probably a big part of that is you're just one person you know it's not you're not a company trying to uh yes uh pay for a bunch of employees but it's it's cool to know i think i've talked about this here before but like the scale of the app store sometimes escapes my mind and i forget how oh, it's insane yeah, like I I'm so used to hearing stories about how if you don't do subscriptions, eventually, <laughs> you know, it's impossible to have a business going forward. Subscriptions like, will save the world, right? And I think there's there's like there's truth to that to a degree, but yeah, if your costs are low and you know your broad enough uh, appeal, then just the amount of new people coming into the store. Yeah. Constantly because new people are born or becoming old enough to spend money <laughs> on the store. Uh, that theoretically could continue growth at least for, or that growth could fund you for a pretty good while, presumably. It, it is really wild. Cause I have at this point, I don't question it, but I used to be like, when will this stop? Like yeah. at some point, <laughs> at some point, a lot of people have like the, the percentage of people that are on the app store that are going to play black box have played black box presumably that doesn't seem to be the case i don't know where all these people continue to come from um but yeah i mean those are the good numbers the bad numbers are that there's like a thousand or two thousand games or apps added a day or week or something yeah. like that so just like it's hard to recommend this to anyone i'm 
pretty scrappy. And like you said, like I'm doing this by myself and I have considered trying to hire people and stuff. And I think that's, that's like one of the sad things that's hard to talk about is people are like amazed that I'm able to do it by myself, but it's also like, it's kind of frustrating because it's not like I have the revenue to go out and hire someone at market rate right. to pay them what they're worth to like help. Um, and I am a designer and a developer and the marketer. Um, I do pay a friend that does sound design, <laughs> but like, yeah, that, that was actually one of my questions for the, like building of it in the first place is I saw that it's Gus Callahan. Yeah. He does the sound design. Yep. Was that from the beginning? Like in the initial release? No, that was 2017, about a year later. So how did that process, like, how did that come about? Uh, as someone who's never had like worked with anybody, I'm always curious how those things work out. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, so I, I think I always wanted the game to have sound effects, but that was something that was like really out of my wheelhouse. I, I worked with a friend that like had a recording studio in San Luis Obispo and we like, you know, hit some glass jars and dropped some chain links and recorded things. And like some of those sounds made it into the game, but it didn't really have that full element. And then uh, this is a whole thing we can talk about, but when I decided to make the game accessible, like especially to blind folks, uh, sound became an obvious huge component of that. And then I sort of decided to use this new um, SDK called AudioKit to be able to make sounds dynamically, but I do not understand sound engineering. And luckily I know Gus and he knows it very well. And we partnered on that and had like some sort of sprint weeks, just creating all the synthesizers that exist inside black box and such. That's awesome. And yeah, you touched on yeah. it. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about is like, at least in a lot of your marketing, uh, it seems like accessibility is one, an important thing to you, but also like an important part of the black box story in general. Like it yeah. informs the the current like design in lots of different ways. And so it's interesting to hear that the sound design was one of those. What, what kind of spurred that from the beginning? Um, let's see. That's a, I mean, going way back, like before I launched black box and before accessibility was like as big of a thing in the iOS community as it is now. I think that's important to remember. Yeah. Um, I hate to call it trendy cause that makes it sound bad, but it is a good thing yeah. to me that it is trendy now, uh, to make your app accessible. It's good. Yeah. I, my friend, so Conrad Kramer of uh, Workflow fame before Apple days was showing me how they made, yeah, it was Workflow then, um, Workflow work with voiceover and how voiceover worked on the iPhone. And that just like blew my mind because he turned on screen curtain and showed how you can navigate everything with the screen off. And then it, that sort of was like the first moment for me realizing like, oh, like blind people use iPhones and like can actually use them really well and faster. And it was in the back of my head, but when I was making black box, I thought like, I kind of have like a exemption here because it would be impossible to make black box accessible. And like how many games are accessible, you know, it's 2016 or 17. And then it was, I think 2017 or so, or whatever around there where a player reached out asking if it was accessible. And I kind of felt caught. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I need to like, I need to really think about this again. Like, is it, is it really impossible? And it became kind of a fun 
game for me because um, like I never get to play black box, but one of the fun things I get to do is like think about how to make uh, interesting puzzles without touching the screen. And that's an interesting constraint. And so then I started toying around with like, you know, would it be possible to make puzzles that didn't use touch or sight? <laughs> and got kind of stuck on that idea. And that's where the sound idea came from because a lot of these sensor-based puzzles, like you could tell voiceover to describe what's going on, but you need more minute control. And I didn't see a way to do that with the voiceover APIs or anything. Right. And that sort of spun into like, what if you had like a theremin type thing? And like, as you tilt the phone, like the volume goes up or like if you tilt it in the yaw, like the, the pitch changes or whatever. And uh, a lot of exploration there sort of led to this like hybrid with uh, voiceover and these synths through audio kit that make it accessible. And then, uh, yeah, a few other things happened and then like the design award and that became like a big part of uh, Black Box's identity and it became really popular in that community. And it just it became like a good thing to champion, I think, because I realized a lot of apps did not have like basic accessibility features and it was kind of i don't know it became this thing to be like look like if black box can be accessible you can make your app accessible you know yeah yeah <laughs> no, definitely and i want to touch on the design award here in a second but before we get into that i i have a couple more like things i'm interested about so yeah are is every puzzle accessible then through without like any visuals yeah yeah that's amazing uh, i think some of them could still be improved but yeah it's it's really crazy. I, I'm like still trying to, I'm always wondering like how to highlight this a little bit better to people. Cause I think, I mean like not just to show it off, but it is like really cool um, to hear and see people that like we have an idea of what an app is and it's usually pretty visual. Most people have their ringers off. They see the app, it's how the app looks. And for black box, it's like, I know that level or that challenge because it looks like this. And that's how I figured out how you solve it. And for someone who is blind, it might be this like sonic interface or sort of the voiceover interface. And that's like, they are, um, I mean, people are have like varying degrees of needs, but like you could potentially be using a completely different interface than you're used to, you know? Yeah. It almost makes me think like you could play through the game a second time yeah. just in voiceover and it would be its own game. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I encourage that turn on screen curtain. No, I think even turning on the sound is something I hope more people do because it just adds um, another dimension. Sometimes there are sound effects that are only played if you have voiceover switch control enabled actually, but most of them are interesting. In both. So, I mean, you touched on it a second ago, but after, after this release, uh, it sounds like that was sort of the impetus for what eventually led to an Apple design award. Yeah. I've never been super clear on that. Apple tends to give out the design awards and they seem to focus on one app as being like kind of an accessibility angle. And I think that was, um, black box. I think it obviously could not have won on that alone. Well, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I should say <laughs> that was... that's what got it on its radar. And I haven't said it on here, but this app is like absolutely gorgeous, uh, <laughs> and a very unique, like visual style and animations. And so, thank you. Uh, if you haven't already, and you're listening to this, just download it right now. It, Cause it is beautiful. <laughs> Thanks man. Yeah. It'll ruin, ruin anyone's life who hasn't played yet, but it, I, I will admit it is a game that makes me angry. Uh, <laughs> good. Yeah. I guess maybe that's the goal, but yeah, I will sometimes <laughs> just be like, 
I think this is, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've just thought maybe the sensory on my phone's broken and that's why this doesn't work. <laughs> that is a thing, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I can't even imagine the bug reports that you deal oh with. My God, the number of broken accelerometers. Oh man. Ugh, yeah. yeah. So many phones don't have working accelerometers. I get a lot of hate. But <laughs> well, there's a lot of phones in the world, and uh, I guess true. if you have a big enough user base, yeah, uh, <laughs> you're going to deal with a lot of interesting scenarios. It's true. So, what was I mean? What was the getting a design award like? Uh, that was really wild. I think that's something I've looked up to and aspired to for a long time without even fully consciously realizing it. And it was within the first year of the game being out that. Uh, a lot of people would like write on Twitter, email me and be like, this is going to win a design award. Like, just wait. Or like, this is design award material. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so pretty unreal for that to, for that to actually happen. I think that sort of uh, changed a lot for the game and for me, like just opened a lot of worlds up. Um our world is like pretty small and open to begin with, but that really like cracked it wide open, I guess. Oh yeah. I have to imagine. Were you, so were you at WWDC whenever you like found out? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my, uh, that was my second WWDC. Wow, man. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was a trip. It was fun. We, uh, did like a, I had a, I was just walking around with the, the cube, which was unreal, weird thing to have. (laughs) And it's so funny, our world, you know, it's like developer world knows what this is and like what this means. But like to everyone else, you have to kind of, I'd have to explain. Right. So like, trust oh, me, this cool. is a big it's, deal. <laughs> it's like, it's like the Pulitzer for apps. Come yeah. on. <laughs> we did like an impromptu meetup during WWDC at the, the park nearby. And I went to my car to grab like a box of t-shirts that I had to see if like anyone came and some other stuff. And I was like walking towards the park where we decided to have this meetup super last minute. And I was like, ah, oh, like darn, the, there's another event going on here already. Uh, and then like realized it was all people there for Black Box. Wow. <laughs> and part of, the, part of the event, the title was that like, we'd do a hands-on with the Apple Design Award cube. <laughs> so I think like a lot of people win these and then like they go away in a trophy cabinet or something. Um, and so it was really fun to just like have that out there and like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just like mess with it with people and talk to everyone and took a big group photo. That's awesome. Yeah. Mejd, uh, Tavi who, yeah. him and the, uh, uh, darkroom team, you know, they got the one last year, but of course everybody was at home Yeah, and they made a little video of him like unboxing it and <laughs> it like, it just felt cool watching it. You know what I mean? Like there was this yeah. sort of camaraderie of. Like we're all developers and we all get like how special this must feel. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. I, I think I was worried about getting in trouble with it. We were going to do a live teardown or something. But <laughs> Did you, yeah. Did you buy your boat and then throw it from one boat to the other? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I took, I did the, like the four hour drive home down to slow where I had it um, like seat belted into my front seat <laughs> the entire way. <laughs> and occasionally I would kind of just reach over and tap it and it would light up. <laughs> Still there. Really stupid. Oh, it lights up. <laughs> oh, you didn't know? Yeah, it's a uh, capacitive. Oh, At least man. the old okay. ones were. I didn't remember yeah, when that. When you touch it, it, when you touch it, the apple glows like the old computers. Yeah, that's gorgeous. The old <laughs> computers. 
like so a year ago. You mentioned there and you've mentioned a couple of times that you do merch now. Where where <laughs> yeah. did that come from? Is that is that actually like kind of a a business thing like it's a source of revenue for you or is it really just because it's fun to have merch <laughs> yeah it's not and it is um it's like a one percent okay thing or something like that maybe two but that just came from like people were asking for merch and i thought it was a little goofy like i printed some shirts for myself and friends early on for going to conferences and stuff but then people were asking for merch and like i guess like i don't wear a ton of merch so i didn't think of this as a thing. Uh, and so I did something with Cotton Bureau and had like links in the app and they were really nice where they let me like do a custom size tag and hide a URL in there and stuff. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it's a fun secret. But then, yeah, this like uh, Latvian startup called Monetizer approached me and they like, after the design award and wanted to try doing something and I had all these people asking for this and it was like, if you're going to handle the like fulfillment and making everything and like it has Apple pay, it was like, like if I don't have to do anything, like sure. Uh, and it kind of grew into a fun thing where like they were super willing to let me do whatever I wanted where like they sent me like a die line for boxes and there was kind of this like area that uh, it seems like it was like under the folds of the boxes. And I was like, can we print there? And they're like, I guess like nobody will see that. It's like, cool. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, like, like all the merch, it became like this fun way for me to play with like physical puzzles where they all come with little riddles on the stickers or printed or hidden and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know. It's mostly, it's mostly a fun thing. That's awesome though. Yeah. Cause you have, you have a bunch of different like things. It's not just shirts and stickers. It's like these custom boxes and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, there's like, well, there's like an enamel pin and there's uh, a hat and now there's like a big box of everything. Stickers, we just said white stickers. I just put some on my black bike. Um, we were working on, I was working on some socks. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't know. It's a goofy, fun thing. People really like it. So a couple of weeks ago, as we record, um, you released Black Box 2.0, right? Yeah. What? I, I wasn't completely clear what was actually 2.0 about it. That's fair. Uh, so I'm curious yeah. if you can like talk through what that is. Yeah, I think 2.0 is kind of a big term for it. Like externally, for me internally, it felt more like that. Um, these days, of course, like we just release updates all the time. And right. It's kind of fun to like try to batch some stuff up, but then it's it'll feel bad where it's like you're working on something so long and like people would really enjoy this and benefit from it. Like, why not just release it bit by bit? But there's been like three major things that I kind of wanted to accomplish to feel like Black Box was like more complete. One was uh, localization. So Black Box is in around 20 languages now. And then the other one was iPad. And I thought I was going to finish this like three years ago, I think. Oh, man. And, like Black Box like, was pretty iPad compatible, um, but I'm crazy. And so I wanted to like remake every single view to try to be more like iPad proper. And so over the last few years, I've been like sort of remaking all of these views, but releasing them just on the iPhone and then kind of doing the iPad work on the side. So that was the big impetus. And also I had reached 1.9 and then trolled uh, everyone yeah. on the Discord server by releasing 1.10 and had to <laughs> do a 2.0 at some point. So it had it had some other big things in there and there was supposed to be a little bit more, but I sort of got a little 
close to burnout on that. So I'm holding back on some of those like uh, new haptics. A few of those made it in and um, some other fun things that'll come. But awesome. I, I'm i curious, has that felt like a bigger release in terms of uh, the reception because of the, the number? I've always been curious about this numbering <laughs> of things, right? Because everybody has opinions. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I get super self-conscious all the time that like people are just like waiting on me and that like people are keeping track of the days that a bug has been out and stuff like that. And it just like gives me a lot of like subconscious stress. And it was a huge relief to get uh, so many of these little things that I had been fixing out in 2.0. But I was kind of worried that people would see through it and be like, you call that 2.0, you know? But I think it was more a lesson in like, people kind of feel the way that you like drum it up. So I made it a big deal and everyone celebrated it as a big deal. and. Uh, maybe they really felt that way too, but I felt relieved that it was received uh, pretty well and everyone was still excited, even though I didn't manage to get a puzzle out in that build. Yeah. I I mean, that's definitely the approach that I take. Uh, I don't know if that's the right one, but <laughs> I, I just like getting excited about things. And so I just took the approach of like yeah. every new feature basically, which is for me like once a year, uh, yeah. I'm just going to give it a new number. And it seems like the new number alone uh, people kind of get excited about it and we'll check it out again or whatever. And most, it's not like, hmm. it's not like most people are following version to version, I imagine. Right. So seeing a number flip like that is, is enough to make a lot of people go, Oh, I wonder what's changed. And like, they're seeing the changes since the last time that they really checked it out, which may be multiple versions of features kind of poured into it. I think that's a really good point. Cause I got a lot of emails about people checking it out again or asking how to reset it to start over, which I always sounds horrifying to me. <laughs> um, so there, I think there is a lot of that and a lot, a lot has changed since 1.0. So if people are, are coming in and trying it again, it's, it's really a much more polished experience and closer to like what I've always wanted it to be. So I guess, I guess the last big question then is, uh, do you already have a, a journal full of ideas for uh, black box AR? <laughs> Uh, whenever the glasses eventually oh <laughs> show up. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's something there's been, I've looked into doing AR stuff and sort of concluded that it would have to be a completely different app and game. Yeah. I really need to learn some 3D, which I've been saying for a year or two now, but I think I'm very comfortable in UI kit. I still don't know how game engines really work, but that seems like a place we should, uh, should be moving to and learning it'll be it'll be interesting to see what apple does because i i can't imagine they're going to you know if if assuming that all the rumors we've been hearing for a decade are true and their next big platform they're trying to push into is these glasses or whatever i can't imagine they're going to try and bring the huge developer ecosystem that they've built and all these developers who don't work in game engines and try and move them into a game engine only world so I bet yeah. there will be a whole, you know, Swift UI based or something framework mm. for building good UI that works in this sort of environment. But yeah, who knows? It's hard. It has to be 3D, right? It's a completely different paradigm for our rectangle world. <laughs> rectangle with rounded corners and notches now and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, continuous curve, squiggle, <laughs> world. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I guess we can go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, I can ask you the the question that I ask everybody, which is, what's a, a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people check out? There's a few. I don't know how many how many you want here. <laughs> as many as many as you want. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think through this. Well, I think two main ones that I was thinking about: a uh, design one and the more random one. I really like hearing about people solving problems in other spaces. And uh, Amanda Pinsker did a really good talk on designing for the command line at GitHub, their new like command line app. And there's a lot of really interesting little points in there about like using the context in a different space like that, that I think are interesting to hear. And then more random, I was thinking there's this Twitter account called bees and bombs do you know it bees and bombs yeah no well if i do it's from other people retweeting it or something yeah. and i can't recall it it's so the account like it's funny when you realize like you know something so intimately but you know nothing about it you know <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> so, like bees and bombs is the handle and it's run by this i presume a guy named dave because uh, that's on there and it's they just make these like really trippy optical illusion type gifts that loop. Um, and they're, it's, I don't know, they bring me a lot of joy because they're, I just love optical illusions, one. And then two, they're kind of a fun puzzle to stare at and be like, how, what is the math here? Like, how is this repeating? Like, could I make this type of thing? I think it's a great design challenge for anyone. I don't know what this person does or like who they are, or if they have a like a full-time job, but they consistently put out new uh crazy optical illusion gifts uh, like every yeah. day or every other day or so i've definitely seen these i retweet these a lot yeah it's probably from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite possibly i just i smash retweet all the time it's just i think it's fun art to interrupt the timeline yeah this sort of stuff is like super inspiring for black box way beyond my skills often uh i really recommend like checking these out and trying to I don't know, any engineer or designer, I think would have a lot of fun peeling these apart and trying to figure out like how they loop. And there's often a lot of little tricks. Yeah, this is uh, mesmerizing. You're looking at them. <laughs> yeah, that's why I went silent and stopped contributing yeah. uh, to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, any optical illusions, please uh, send them my way. I love stuff like that that messes with perception, just like really captures you. So I think finding sources like that in like print, um, or digital art like that is really good inspiration for black box. Yeah. I'm curious, like when you're designing new puzzles, obviously you're trying to come up with creative, you know, ways to use the, the sensors, but how, how would something like that come into play for like being inspirational for these types of things yeah what do you mean visually or uh well maybe that's maybe that's the answer is like do you come up with a puzzle like okay i want to use this sensor and maybe we could maybe this is a technique for how the mechanic mm. works and then yeah. you come up with a like sort of design that goes with it yeah it's a good question i i think i just realized i skipped your question earlier about having puzzle ideas are you you were saying for ar but I also have a very, very long list of puzzle ideas for the iPhone, which is probably infuriating to a lot of people. But a lot of those ideas, they need to be paired with like, first of all, like 
uh, what's a way to make that actually a fun challenge? It's right. not fun to like find a setting and turn it on. Some there are some <laughs> challenges like that, <laughs> but it's if you can like turn it into a game element, like anything that someone can change, and like the app can observe that change. I that's the way I think of it. Like that can become a challenge, can be kind of gamified. But making something fun out of that is like step one, and knowing that it's possible, and then. Step two is the visual. So like I have dozens of really cool ideas I would love to make for puzzles, but like I haven't thought of a uh, satisfying visual. There's like really obvious visuals that might be like iconographic or something, but that's not like a fun mind gap to cross. So coming up with something, it's often like a novel way to represent a sensor or some sort of interface thing that is somewhat familiar but not too familiar yeah it has like a they seem like they all have like an abstract concept yeah that does like it makes sense once you know what what it's referencing yeah that's exactly how it should work it should like make a lot of sense after <laughs> once you've like connected that gap and like cross that moat so to speak so that can be really difficult because i think we see mostly interfaces where people are trying to make it like really painfully clear what's happening. And this is not trying to do the opposite, but it's like trying to do something uh, different. So often it has to be a completely novel interface. And that's where I find it really useful to like hear about people solving other problems or see sort of these like solving things that are completely unrelated, but in like simple geometric sort of design ways. And I really, I need to like think about this more and possibly try to write about it. Cause I think there's some interesting nuggets in there, but it's like not, uh, clear to explain, but there's ways of thinking about these sort of sensor inputs and like how you're interacting with them that sometimes inform how a graphic might, uh, loop. Cause it's like sort of trying to convey some sense of like continuity or something like that, or, um, the way it uses color or like hints in its movement. I think there's like lots of little things to grasp at and that's why sort of the moving bees and bombs gifts and lots of other interesting people like that. Um, it's a good source of inspiration just to like stare at and try to understand how it works. Yeah. That's fascinating. It, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like I would not have thought this before, but now talking to you, I'm sort of realizing black box is like, it feels like it's weirdly straddling the line between a traditional game and a traditional app. I'm saying in quotes, but I guess a productivity app, I don't know what you call yeah. non game apps, but cause yeah, it's like, like you said, you know, an app, your whole goal is you want to make it very clear what the thing you need to do is or what a certain animation or movement or icon means. Mm -hmm. And you have like this weird balance of, at the end of the puzzle, once it's solved, you need that like delight feeling where it like, you're like, oh, yeah. that does match. But then <laughs> there's like a moment of frustration. That's almost a requirement for the puzzle to work satisfyingly. Yeah. And like, that has to be such a strange yeah. design consideration to be making while you're, while you're building these. I think another one I just thought of is like, it's kind of similar to comedians, uh, that mm. like aha moment. And I, I read something about this with like, puns and why they're fun and kind of it's like the self-satisfaction of like putting together why it's funny yeah <laughs> it's it's like it's not 
funny without that. Like you have to understand how it works, but like you're the one doing that work. And it's an interesting parallel. Like, yeah, you do want to create it something that is not so frustrating that no one ever crosses that gap or it's not fun, but you don't want to make it so easy to walk across. So, right. Cause the joy is in the work to solve it. Yeah. It's in that aha. And I think that's like a big part of black box's success is it doesn't just feel like you conquered something or like got to the next level, but it's like, it really feels like, like you put in the work and like really figured something out. And it's, it, it's kind of having 79 of those aha moments. Um, it's a really good feeling that you would want to hopefully share. Yeah, that's experience more if I could release more puzzles. <laughs> There's well, plenty of other games that have this. I'll admit I have not completed Black Box. Uh, I'm I'm one who gets I'll frustrated maybe a little too easily. But part of me is now like I'm kind of excited to just go play a bunch and be looking at <laughs> cool. it through this lens now. Uh, so I'm I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, turn on turn on the sounds and don't be afraid to the hints are tuned to not give everything away. Also, it's a big consideration. Yeah, I I am not too proud to admit I've used the hints uh, before. <laughs> no, it's, it drives me nuts. I think like half of people don't use hints and they're very proud of it, and then they eventually stop playing the game, which I think is less fun. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so where can people find you and uh, find your game? Sure. I'm Warpling on everything and you can find Blackbox on the App Store or on uh, blackboxpuzzles.com. Oh, and I, before we leave, I have to ask this question and I don't know why I skipped over in my notes, but who made that your little promo video? Because it is amazing. Which one? Uh, it's on your website. Uh, the one with the hands is yes. made by Julian Clark. Um, he's an old friend from like growing up in high school who I found was doing uh, motion design. And that was a lot of fun because that was not traditional work that he did, but he got some friends together and set up this whole like light box rig oh, where wow. like my sister and some other people were like reaching their hands inside this thing they couldn't see and making these gestures. And <laughs> uh, we tweaked the, the hell out of that thing for a really long time. Well, if anybody, because people will ask me about my videos, which aren't even in remotely in the same league as this. And yeah, I have a list of videos. I'll send them as like, hey, you should look at this one and overanalyze it if you're trying to work on something. <laughs> Thanks. That video, I had not seen it until I was preparing for this. And I'm like, how have I missed this? This is amazing. Uh, it bums me out. It's it's really, really, really good work that he did. And it was really fun. The back and forth, having someone that's like willing to get that deep on the perfectionist level. Uh, the, the bummer was that we could never use it on the app store yeah, because um, they don't like the hands or device frames. And that's where the new video, that's the app trailer. Actually, you can't see it because it's removed. <laughs> they feel like cracked down on app preview videos. Yeah. I heard a rumor or I saw somebody say that they got denied for having like frames in their screenshots the other day. And I was like, whoa, if they start cracking down on screenshots, that's going to totally change how the app store feels the rules like words don't mean anything anymore so yeah. you just have to submit and see what happens yep yep awesome all right well i i wanted to, i can't believe i skipped over that but i wanted to mention that because everybody <laughs> should go watch that um and obviously there'll be a link in the show notes so awesome well thanks. thank you thank you so much for uh for coming on this was really really fun yeah this was super fun thanks for having me Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. 
I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launch.fm.com. Thank you.